This is Reset and can be found at mccabe.io. I'll be talking about anything that plugs in or takes batteries, mostly home automation, networking, home storage, and I'll be bringing some friends along. Reset was inspired by a bent paperclip that's sat on my desk for years. It reminds me that no matter how much we mess something up, there's usually a reset button. Let's get started. Welcome back to Reset, everybody. I'm your host, David McCabe. You can be found on Twitter at McCabe.io. You can find this podcast at Reset.fm. This week, we are sponsored by StableBit. StableBit's the creators of StableBit DrivePool, Cloud Drive, and Scanner. And I'll tell you a little bit about these guys here in a little bit. We need to get started with uh, PSA, Public Service Analysis. An announcement. Um, I'm just going to call it by its name. Crap Cleaner. Do you remember Crap Cleaner when it was labeled Crap Cleaner? Well, now it's C Cleaner. And the binary, the executable, the download of that program was compromised. And you may have a virus. So you need to take some steps here. I'm going to have some links in the show notes. If you have downloaded that, I would say in the last... I don't know, six months, but you need, we need to check on that. We'll have some links in the uh, show notes uh, from Avast, and the impacted version is 5.33. So what they're saying to do is upgrade to 5.35, but there's been some other folks to say, no, you don't only want to upgrade to 5.35. You really need to go back to a backup, restore. I mean, this is some serious stuff. The first infection of this program was just, it was a nuisance, right? They have found a second infection, a second payload, which is not as widely distributed as the first that could be damaging. So I implore you, if you use CCleaner or Crap Cleaner, as I'm going to call it from now on, if you use that, you need to take some steps. You need to read up. It, just like the Equifax garbage that happened recently you need to protect yourself you need to read up understand it and take action and you know what i think i have it on one of my pcs i am going to have to dig around to see uh what's going on as well you know on my personal pc versions and if i need to uh, i would hate to think that i would have to wipe the pc uh, that would just drive me crazy but if it's on there i think i'm going to be so nervous that i'm going to probably wipe it the least thing you need to do is upgrade to 5.35 and then run a virus scan. Use some heavy-duty software to run a virus scan. Maybe not Kaspersky, because I think that, uh, oh gosh, what is this world coming to? Can't trust anything these days. I can't run Kaspersky. I can't run DJI drones because the Chinese are possibly spying on my data. And it's crazy. So lock yourself in your bubble room and don't go outside. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Hey, we need to talk about all kinds of stuff. Last week, we had a huge episode of cameras and all that kind of good stuff. And guess what? This week, I'm not going to talk about it because I know you've had enough cameras, but I just want to tell you some, just a little bit of update for the future. I bought one of those Argus battery-operated cameras that Mike Forche was using, 
And I've also got in the EasyViz Mini Trooper, which is a battery-operated camera as well. So I've got a lot of these things running on my network right now, and I've got a lot of things to say about them. So I'll probably do YouTubes, and I may give you, uh, I think I may want to do a podcast on EasyViz. Since I liked it so much the first time, I still have some issues with their product, and I even have more issues about the Mini Trooper, even though it seems like it's a great deal. So hang on for that. We'll um, we'll do some more cameras and stuff like that. So I'm going to tell you a little story. I got mad. I don't usually do this on Twitter. I sent out two tweets to Amazon saying pretty much WTF. And I want I wanted to give you a public service announcement kind of about Amazon ordering. So you know, especially if you're a prime customer, if it's fulfilled by Amazon, it's stocked in their warehouses, right? So you can place an order. It can be from co- company ABC123XYZ, but fulfilled by Amazon. That means ABC123XYZ has stocked Amazon's warehouse with their widgets and gizmos, and then Amazon ships them to you. Then you know there's also sold by Amazon. So, I mean, that's like your fire devices and stuff. But they also have other items, right? They would have drones and laptops and tablets and stuff, and it's sold by Amazon. They're generally a little more expensive, but it comes to you the next day or same-day shipping, so you can kind of balance shipping and costs and whatnot. And they also have sales. Then there is third-party sales, right? So it's... ABC123 company and it's sold by them and it's shipped by them. So they're selling through the Amazon platform. So recently, I placed an order that was fulfilled by Amazon from company ABC123, right? And I get the box. It's on the porch. I get the box. It it arrived in time. I paid an extra $7 for overnight because I'm that way. And I got the box and the tape was all jicky on it, right? It was all messed up. And it was lighter than what I expected it to be. So immediately I rolled camera on the unboxing of the just the shipment because I knew something was wrong. I because it actually looked like so it was the box was taped and then it had another layer of tape over it because that first layer of tape was cut like someone opened it and then they slapped that amazon prime you know paper gummy tape over it so it was that but it was kind of opened and it looked it looked tampered with and actually the box was bent in the shape that it looked like it was ripped open and they either took out the item and replaced it with another item kind of thing kind of did a little swap there so, of course, I open it up, and it's not the item that I ordered. It was a $40 item, and I had ordered a $600 item. So, I was just, I was beside myself. So, I immediately did the Amazon return explaining that, hey, this happened. I got it. I resealed it, got in my car, took it to the UPS, made them scan it in, and then I drove home, and then I started 
a chat session with Amazon. Now, I don't normally do that, right? I normally just return the item to Amazon because when they get it, they'll verify I've returned it and then they will give you your money back. But this is 600 bucks. They've got my $600 hostage. So I started a chat session with them and told them the story, showed them pictures and items, and they said that because it's a fulfilled by Amazon product from ABC123, that they can't give me an immediate refund. They have to open and inspect the box. And I can understand that because I could merely say, you know, I could put in, I could take the $600 product out of the box and put in the $40 product and claim, oh, Amazon, I didn't get my order. You know, shame on you. I understand that. But I showed them video footage of me opening said box. Now, granted, the box looked tampered with. I could have done that. So, but still, I was mad. I think I was mad at Amazon for putting me in this spot, right? And they're like, but it's, we can't give you your refund now until we investigate. And because it's Amazon fulfilled, not sold by Amazon. And I was getting snarky at the person. I was like, but Amazon's the one that made the mistake. I didn't make the mistake. Amazon made the mistake. Amazon took ABC123's product off of the shelf and put it in the box wrongly and sent it to me. Something should have been caught. They they should have caught it by weight. Something. Some kind of measurement should have caught this. And they and they didn't. Amazon made the mistake. Well, regardless, I lost. I didn't uh I didn't win. What, what I told them, I said, I want I want you to ship me out my product overnight. I want it tomorrow. I said, You made the mistake, I didn't. And of course I didn't win that argument, but I had to try. So my $600 is in limbo. I'm waiting for Amazon to receive the return. But I did give them video and photos of me opening their box. And I don't know why I'm taking up all your time for that. Because, But I just want you to be careful when you protect yourself. Opening Amazon boxes from ABC123. And if they're not as heavy as they should be. And if they look tampered with. Protect yourself. By all means. I was just mad. So I tweeted out two tweets. Amazon made me mad. All right, we've got some things to talk about. But first, I want to tell you about StableBit. Now, at the top of the show, I told you about several of StableBit's products. But today, I'm going to tell you about DrivePool. DrivePool is one of my favorites. I personally use it myself on a server, server, a Windows 10 PC, You don't have to have a server because this thing, this software will combine multiple hard drives into a large virtual drive. So you take your one terabyte, your two terabyte, your three terabyte, your four terabyte, and it'll mush it all together into one hard drive. And what you can do is you can tell it to give me real-time file duplication across those drives and duplicate it to another drive or another folder. So... Think about the old days of Windows Home Server um, Drive Extender. Remember Drive Extender where it would make a copy? Well, this is even better because it does it in real time. All your pulled data is stored in standard files on the disks. 
plug in any pool disk to any computer running StableBit DrivePool, and your files are instantly available. I'm going to tell you a story about that in a, in a future podcast where StableBit literally saved my butt from losing data. You can create multiple pools. You can have real-time duplication. Uh, there's no limits to the size of disk you can add to the pool. You can even add a disk to the pool after you've created it. Say you're running along, you need more storage. You go out and you buy a new hard drive. And you come in, you install it, and you say, hey, StableBit, increase my drive size. And even if you take a drive that has data already on it, it'll leave that data alone and it'll use the hard drive. This some serious software, guys. If you're running a Windows 10 PC, Windows 8 PC is like a file station, something that saves your data, or maybe you're using like one of those camera NVR apps or a DVR app, you can use StableBit DrivePool. And it's got StableBit Scanner integration as well. I'll tell you about that in a later episode. So much of this software, and it's so good for you and your network. StableBit.com slash DrivePool. Try it free for 30 days, and oh, did I tell you it's only $29.95. It's so affordable. There is also a bundle with Cloud Drive and DrivePool. You for sixty bucks, you can get all three products. But you definitely want to take a look at DrivePool. StableBit.com/slash/DrivePool. Thank you very much to StableBit for supporting the Reset community. All right, let me swing around to another type of storage. I'm talking about a Synology NAS and a Cronus. I'm pretty sure you guys are familiar with a Cronus. These guys have been around. A long, long time, but now they have a plug-in, an add-on in the package center of the Synology NAS that allows you to back up your mobile device to the NAS. It's written by Acronis themselves, and it runs on the Synology. This is really pretty cool. So you use Acronis Tree Image in combination with the mobile app on your on your device and it backs up from either iOS or Android and tablets as well to your NAS device. Pretty cool. Really, really cool stuff. It's being talked about in the reset forums over at homeservershow.com. I will leave you a link in the show notes and you can go check that out. It's really cool. Now, sticking with Synology, there's been an important update for Disk Station Manager 6.1. I guess there were some issues with using RAID in the EXT4 file system and some data scrubbing. If you're running Synology, make sure you check out this link. I'll put it in the show notes because I thought, I honestly thought I was on BTRFS. I thought I was on the new file system on one of my devices. And lo and behold, it's EXT4. I'm running SHR, which is Synology Hybrid RAID. So what I had to do is install the patch and then do data scrubbing on the array. So I suggest if you have one or more uh, NASes from Synology, just take a look. Go into, let's see, what we do, you would go into the NAS, you would go into Storage Manager, and you would look at the volume and make sure... Everything is actually, yes, you would go to the volume and it'll tell you the type of file system 
that's on it, and then you can run uh, data scrubbing from there. Just install the patch. Make sure you have all the patches up to date. So there are also some new Synology boxes to talk about. They're always releasing new stuff. So we have the DS3018XS. Now this thing is, this is an original box here. It's Synology's first six-bay NAS. Now the cool thing about this is it comes with a PCIe slot and you can put in a 10 gigabit network card or you can put in a dual M.2 SSD adapter and use that for caching for read-write operations. So you can scale it to 30 drives with two additional DX1215 boxes. So if you're a small business or big business, you can put in a lot of hard drives. 8 gigabytes of DDR4 RAM goes up to 32. This thing is a behemoth. Now, that may not be the NAS for you, but there are some other ones they released. There's the 918 Plus, the 718 Plus, a 218 Plus, and a nice little intro NAS, the 418. Those are all disk stations. The 418 is up. It's a pretty powerful four-bay NAS. It's got a quad-core, 1.4 gigahertz processor in it. It's got dual gigabit LAN ports. comes with two gigs of RAM. So, I mean, these are some really nice products they're putting out there. The Plus series is going to have a little bit more horsepower. So if you want to do some 4K streaming, which these guys will do, you probably want to take a look at the Plus series. But I'll have a in the show notes for this episode... I'll put all the links for all those boxes. And I've got a link to a forums post where I've started that discussion if you'd like to jump in there. Okay, so this is a quick episode this week, but I want to go over a couple of more things. I was having a chat with a a forums member and a a meetupper, Kyle W., and we were talking about email. And I was like, you know what? I need to mention this again. I've mentioned this a couple years ago. But I have specific needs with a mail host. And I honestly, I was not, Outlook.com and myself were not working out together. First of all, I have a lot of email addresses, so I have a lot of spam that comes in. I have a lot. You know, because my email addresses are published. They're out there. So they get scraped. And they get a lot of spam. So I need something that's very robust. Will filter what I need filtered. And send to me what I don't need filtered. Right? I need a client. Webmail. And a spam. Folders. Yes. Folders. IMAP. Aliases. I need. I have multiple domains. So I need to be able to send as. Like podcast at homeservershow.com. I need to be able to send as david at mccabe.io you know i have all these needs and yes folders i don't i need to be able to drag you know an email from dlink to their folder netgear to their folder and i realize that gmail is supposed to take care of all that right but there's something to be said about having a folder structure in front of your eye to remind you of something, right? Now, the Gmail fan will say, but just search for it. But sometimes, I don't know what I'm searching for, right? I'd be like, 
I know I have this folder of this thing that I need to do or this thing that I need to look at or talk about. And boom, it's right there in my folder structure. Sometimes at a a Google search prompt, I'm just like, crap, what was I needing to do? I don't know. So yes, I need folders. That's why I left Outlook. Now let me give you some reasons why. I was using Outlook with my company login, a, a different ID, not an Outlook.com ID or a Hotmail ID. So for the longest time since I've ever had a live ID, it has not been a Hotmail ID or an Outlook.com ID. So Microsoft would not take my money to remove the ads in their web app. It sounds silly that they wouldn't take money to remove the ads. Now, they may be able to do this now, but I could not pay them the the annual fee in order to remove the ads because I was not using a Hotmail or Outlook email address. Okay. Stupid, but that's how it is. The spam was horrendous. They were failing me left and right with spam attacks. I just couldn't keep up with it anymore. Maybe the last thing was startup time. This could be answered as well. Honestly, I have not gone back and looked at it. I left. I haven't looked back. But startup time was driving me crazy. I used the browser. So I went over to a company called Fastmail. And I'm going to give you a link if you want to look at it. Maybe get a trial. It costs money. You're going to have to pay money to use this service. It's not free like Google. But it has everything that I just told you about in it. I type in fastmail.com, boom, it opens. I have my folders. I can click compose. And then I get a drop-down box. I have my default, which is podcast at home, servershow.com. But I get a drop-down box of what I would like to send the email as. Forums at homeservershow.com. Share at homeservershow.com. Surface Geeks at surfacegeeks.com, you know, whatever I want to do, I get that prompt, even my business, myconnects.com, I have that prompt to send an email as all of that stuff. I don't even remember how much it cost. Let's look, billing plan. I think I just paid $3 per month or $30 per year. You get two gigabytes of storage. No ads, no tracking, Full mobile, push, IMAP, SMTP, CalDAV, CardDAV, whatever you want. You have to step up to $5 a month to use your own domain. So you could have Joe Schmo at fastmail.com or they have a bazillion email domains that you can choose from if you want to. So, Or you move up to $50 a year, $5 a month, you can use your own domain. That's what I'm doing. And I, let's see, I've been doing this for two years. I just renewed. I've been doing this for two years. Their spam learning mechanism, their attack on it is phenomenal. I thought, at first I thought I was going to have to get a secondary service and route my mail through a spam filter and then route it back to Fastmail or Outlook. And I thought, well, let me just try Fastmail first and... No need. Their spam is awesome. And you can train it. It's got 
settings where you can train it. It will give you the score of you know how it landed in their spam, and you can unspam it, you know, thumbs up it, and it will learn that what as well. It's a fantastic service. I'll give you a link in the show notes, and you can check it out yourself if you'd like to. But that was the conversation that I had, you know, with a, a forums member that came to me and said, I'm tired of spam. And I was like, fastmail.com. Just go try it. It is awesome. That sounded like an ad, but it wasn't. It wasn't. I promise. I use it. I pay for it. I love it. All right. Another person came to me privately and asked, is it a good time to buy a Surface laptop or should I wait? Now, we've heard about a rumor that Surface Book is going to have an LTE edition come out in the near future. This person was asking about Surface Laptop, you know, the new one. Nice, pretty, beautiful clamshell, touchscreen, Core i5, Core i7, loaded with SSD, loaded with RAM. What, starting at $999 and going up from there. It's a premium device, guys. It's a premium device. But when you get your hands on it, you'll know why. Just maybe go to a, a Microsoft store if you haven't and look at it. Compare it side by side to oh, what, what else do they have there? They have the HPs, the Spectres, the Dells, uh, Asus's. They've got all kinds of laptops in their store. And then you'll know why the Surface laptop costs more. And it's not that much more, but this is a premium product. It it's it's beautiful. It's both beautiful and pretty darn hefty in the spec department. So my answer to said person was yes, it's a good idea to get into a Surface laptop. Now I said caveat, we don't know when Surface Laptop 2 is going to drop. Because really, Surface Laptop just hit this summer. We just got it. So I'm giving it a thumbs up on a purchase. You know, because people people ask these things, guys. I don't know if you think this as well. You think, should I get this now or should I wait to get the next one? And I'm saying it's a go. And I was kind of steering the person away from Surface Book and more towards a laptop. I think I think it's a nicer device. I've had Surface Book. I've, I've not had Surface Laptop. I would go with, with a laptop, and I would not have any qualms whatsoever recommending that to you or having you go look at it and compare it to the Spectres and the Dells of the world. It is a premium device. Also, there was a question about the Alcantara. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But the supposed fuzziness of the laptop and the surface of it. And I think there's a misnomer out there that it's, it feels like a normal surface, right? It feels just, it's not fuzzy. It doesn't feel like the old keyboards that came with Surface Pro. It feels more like a plastic, plasticized surface. It just, I think it just battles the elements better. And it's going to battle the oils better. And it's going to wipe off easily. 
comes in multiple colors. I, I'm giving this a thumbs up, guys, because I haven't really talked. If you'll notice, I haven't really gone surface geek on you in quite some time. But this question kind of brought me back into my surface geekiness, and it is a fantastic laptop. I cannot afford it. I purchased a laptop in December, and I just cannot afford it. Honestly, I'm using Final Cut Pro, and if I could figure out how to use the Adobe products and actually pay for those, I would probably jump into a Surface laptop right now. So, you know, that reminds me, if you have gear, you listen to this podcast, you have gear, and you may want to sell it. We have a nice little community of resale. I put stuff out there all the time if you would like to sell some of your gear. So maybe if you've got a Surface laptop for sale, you could bring it out there to resetforums.com and try to get get it sold. You know, sometimes you can sell it and drop the price of it a little bit and not have to pay eBay and PayPal all those fees and you can sell it to a forums member and work something out that way. I like to do that too. I like to do that. So everything I've talked about will be in the show notes of this podcast. You can literally go to reset.fm slash 33 and get all the notes. If you have something that you would like to say about Surface Laptop, just pretend someone's standing across from you and saying, should I buy Surface Book or Surface Laptop? And should I wait for a Surface Laptop too? Or should I wait for this Surface Book LTE thing? How would you answer? And maybe we can talk about that in the forums. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you um, coming back here, sharing it with your friends. That's something you could always do. Give it some stars out there on iTunes if you even have that program. (laughs) I don't know. You may not. You may be listening on your Zoom. I see a few Zooms pulling down pulling down the old reset podcast from uh, from my stats and that is just absolutely fantastic I love it but reset 33 thank you very much for stablebit for sponsoring the episode go out there to stablebit.com and give them some love we will see you next week and it, there's always time for meetup if you haven't registered get out there to the forums look at the meetup and if you're anywhere near Indiana I expect you to be at meetup right? We're going to have a great time. Tons of gear to look at. Hey, we're going to look at some Surface laptops, you know, because we're, we're, we're headed to the Microsoft store. So bring your checkbook, guys. We're going to be buying some Surface laptops. See you here next week. This has been Reset, a member of the Geeks Network. Check out thegeeksnetwork.com for more great podcasts and forums. Reset can be found at mccabe.io, youtube.com slash David McCabe for the videos and on Twitter at McCabe.io. Intro and outro music by Daryl Lee. Find Daryl Lee at soundcloud.com, Daryl Lee Music. That's D-E-R-L-E-E, music. Support of this podcast can be done at patreon.com slash David McCabe. And if you wouldn't mind, throw a couple stars out there on iTunes if you get a chance to. Thank you for supporting, and I'll see you next week on Reset. Reset.